Everyone got your Bibles? We're going to get going in Matthew. You can use your phones or whatever you got. I'm going to grab my water here. Maybe you can grab my water, Vicky. So today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. Thank you. But before we get going, I think we need just a little bit of context. Uh, I wasn't here last week. I want to appreciate all your prayers. As uh, most of you kind of, some of you know, I was in the hospital, actually. Um, and everything worked out. I got out on Tuesday. So thank you uh, for all your prayers on that. I'm just um, I'm privileged to be back here and healthy again. So if Matthew chapter 3, as we get going, before we get into this, I want you to remember that there was already a ministry taking place. John the Baptist, we know, all know John the Baptist. Many of you guys have been watching Chosen, Crazy John. What do they call him? Weird John, something like that. Anyways, he was already preaching, right? He was out in the desert. He was down by the river. Um, and he was preaching. What was he preaching? Repent of your sins, turn to God. That was John's message, right? And John's message also included, though, some other things. It was that Jesus was coming soon. And to be prepared for Jesus' coming, for the Messiah's coming. Then so he's there. He's waiting, and then he's also proclaiming that Jesus the Messiah was going to come, and he was going to baptize not only with water, remember, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. But John the Baptist's message didn't stop there. He also proclaimed that in time, there was going to be a great separation and following by God's judgment. So two weeks ago, Kevin taught here. Uh, most of uh, you were here. And he walked us verse by verse through the story of John the Baptist and the start of his ministry. The man, the mission, the message for those that were here. We learned that all of us, everyone here, are called by God, just as John, and we're each uniquely gifted and set apart to go out and share the gospel. Now, there's some of us that are a little more unique maybe than others, but all of us here have a unique gifting to go out and share the gospel, just as John. Every, I mean, everyone, if you've came to faith, you are called the mission. It's very important to prepare the lost to meet Jesus. So as I say this, and Kevin taught it two weeks ago, how do we do this? What's that look like for each one of you? We proclaim the same message that John the Baptist proclaimed. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus, because in time, judgment is coming. Jesus is coming. So John the Baptist gave us all a, a good example to follow. We can read it there. Now, the question I have for each one of you, especially those that heard the message two weeks ago from Kevin, how has it been the last two weeks? Have you followed that example? Have you been out there proclaiming the gospel as John the Baptist? Or what message have you been proclaiming? What mission have you been on? So as each of us are called to follow that example, and remember that we are on that same mission as John the Baptist. This week, a friend was asking me, um, we were talking, he says, How long have you been in ministry, he asked me. So think about that. I'm going to ask each one of you. How long have each of you been in ministry? How would you answer that question? Some of you may be like, I'm like, I'm not in ministry. What's your question? What's your answer? How long have you been in ministry? I told him I began in full-time ministry the day that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He looked at me kind of funny. He's like, no, I mean, how long have you been a pastor? I said, no, I've been in full-time ministry since the day I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. We are all in full-time ministry. Today, we're here at church. We're being equipped. We're teaching, the, you know, studying the Word of God. 
but we're going to walk out these doors in an hour or so, and we're going to walk out into the mission field, and we're going to go out there, and we're going to be serving in full-time ministry to share the gospel. So as we uh, prepare to dig into the scriptures today, I just want to look at a few more things before we get into this. We know that Jesus is going to come into this scene. John is being faithful to preach. We learned that. So this, there's a pattern that I see again, as I always see this. While a person is being steadfast in teaching and serving God, the Holy Spirit so often has came and blessed the work that was taking place. So John was teaching, then the work was blessed. It doesn't usually happen the other way, where a person is just sitting doing nothing, and then the Holy Spirit will come make this amazing work take place. Typically, you go out and you start serving, and then the Holy Spirit can bless that work. So I think it's important. We've seen so many different examples in the last few months of different faithful servants of God being used in miraculous ways. And so it's just, it's good examples. But today, if you saw the message, E.G., example given. We're going to look at Jesus today and the example he gives us. So let's begin. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to begin. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? Jesus has come down to meet John with a purpose to be baptized. We know that Jesus up to this point, we hadn't really heard much. Once when he was like 12 years old. But to our knowledge, his life was relatively uneventful until this point. Lived in the small village in Galilee. But something huge now is about to take place. This is a turning point. Jesus is now, he showed up the river, and he comes before John. He said, baptize me. Now, John obviously has seen Jesus and recognizes him as the Messiah. And he's like, why? Or he doesn't understand. Why would he water baptize Jesus? Remember even, if you look back, what did he just preach? If you look at back just at Matthew 3.11, it says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So think about this. This is odd, right? John's in the river baptizing. Jesus comes up. He's like, why would I baptize you? I always ask everyone to put yourself like a movie director in the story. Just imagine yourself there. So I'm going to ask again today that we would each imagine ourselves in the Jordan River. Imagine yourself even as John the Baptist. You're in the river. And we've all been to baptisms, I think. Most everyone here has been to some form of baptism. So imagine you're John Standing there in the river, you're preaching. Imagine yourself, you're preaching. Repent. You can imagine John the Baptist preaching. I bet you he's pretty loud. I imagine. I don't know. If... Repent. Turn to God. And he's baptizing, right? All the people that came in. There's a line of people. You're in the river. Just imagine yourself being up. Then you look up. Who do you see next in line to get baptized? It's Jesus, the Messiah. You know, we've, we've all, I think most of us have read these words here. And you look at verse 14. Just think of this. Think of this as you're John. You're standing in the river. Now, I think if John wasn't standing in the river, he probably would have you know, went to his knees and saying this. But he was in the river. So look at verse 14. It says, I'll just read the second part of it. 
I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? John was confused. And I think all of us, if we're just putting ourselves in a story, I think all of us also would be confused. So let's see Jesus' response to John in verse 15. But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. John, uh, sorry, Jesus explains to John, I like this, because Jesus didn't rebuke John for not understanding why. Instead, he explains to him that we must carry out all that God requires. So Jesus is going to show John and all of us that by example, how to worship God, we're to be obedient to this command of baptism. Because God does require all that have came to faith to be baptized. So again, imagine yourself in the river. You just heard from Jesus why he must be baptized. And then John, he's, he's agreeing, he's understanding that Jesus is doing this because he's being obedient to the Father, just as we are also to carry out all of God's commands. So can you picture this all taking place? Are you ready? As you're thinking of this, as you think about it and place yourself there, let's look at the next two verses. After, verse 16 and 17, After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. Can you picture that in your mind, being there, hearing this, watching this? Jesus has just been baptized by John, and the Holy Spirit has now came into or is now residing in Jesus. You know, as I looked at that verse, I wondered, and I looked it up, what is the word settling on? Or some of your Bibles may say alighting upon. It depends on which version of the Bible you have. I won't try to say the original word in the Greek, because I, I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, and I just embarrass myself. Um, and I want Christian to make fun of me. So I won't try to say the word, but that word that settling on or alighting upon is in the Bible over 600 times in the New Testament. And it means simply to come into or to enter into something. So if you like, you're going to say, John entered into a house. Entered into. It's the same word. If you're going to go to a place, it's the same word. So when it says the Holy Spirit came into Jesus, he resided in Jesus. So Jesus now had the Holy Spirit come upon him, empowering him to go fulfill the calling that God had upon his life. Then immediately we see after the baptism, God proclaimed who Jesus is and that he was pleased. As you see this, God spoke. There's only three times that I know of in the New Testament where you hear this. And this is the first time of God speaking in some verbal way to Jesus in the Bible. You see it at the transfiguration, and then you see it right before Jesus went to the cross. This is one of the three times. I think that as we read this, just to make sure no one's confused, I need to mention that Jesus was not baptized because he was a sinner. That's not why Jesus got baptized. We get baptized to showing a sign of a repentance of our sin. That's not why Jesus got baptized. He was without sin. He did this to be obedient and set an example for all of us to follow. So now we see Jesus is equipped for the mission that God had before him. Jesus has shown us his example, how each of us, the same, can be prepared to serve God. We must first be equipped by God through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So what's next? All of you, you've repented of your sins. You've came to faith in Jesus, each of you. 
You have been water baptized. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been obedient to God's calling. Now what? What do you do now? Let's read and see what Jesus is going to do next, starting in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. That's not what we would hope would be next, would it? I mean, he was obedient, he was baptized, and then what? He's led into the wilderness. I think actually, believe it or not, this is so common for a lot of us at times. Jesus was led to a place where the devil would tempt him. Jesus was being tested, or I I like the word maybe tempered, getting prepared to serve. Uh, First thing I notice as I read this, which... It's kind of maybe difficult, is I see that the Holy Spirit is the one who led Jesus to this place, this wilderness. You know, it's interesting, knowing that what was going to take place, and he is also the one that has allowed Satan to tempt Jesus. You know, we've seen it, we've read the story of Job even. We've seen this take place before. But it was not God who was tempting Jesus. It was the devil, so we need to make sure that is clear. It wasn't, God was not tempting Jesus. It was Satan who tempted Jesus. There's a big difference. So in in verse 2, we see that Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Has anyone fasted for 40 days? 30 days? A day is the most I've actually fasted. Maybe someone's done a week here. Maybe. I'm not sure. Anybody done a week? You? All right. I I have not done more. So how long have you done? A week. Any more than a week? Okay. 40 days, 40 nights. Now, I don't think that it's physically possible for us to go 40 days and 40 nights. I think the rule is after 30 days, uh, your body pretty much fails. I think it's like three days without water, 30 days without food, and you die. But this is a supernatural occurrence, I really believe. Uh, He went to the extreme, Jesus did. He went to the weakest point that he could be brought to. And I believe this was supernatural, um, that God sustained him in some which way. So Jesus was, I don't know how you felt that after a week, but Jesus was obviously in this weakened state physically. I mean, if he hadn't eaten or drinking in 40 days, even if he was being sustained by the Lord, the purpose was to be in that state. And so he was weakened physically. And I'm sure, as you think about it, I'm sure his mind and his human attributes was very cloudy. I mean, it would have been hard. I mean, you imagine trying to function after not eating or drinking for that point in time. Maybe he drank. We're not you know, really sure how the fast, what the conditions of the fast were. But. So he's very weakened so a battle is about to begin. We know the, the best time you think of a battle or a war, the best time to attack is when the other side is weakened, right? I mean, you don't want to attack your enemy when they're strong. You want to know when they're weakened, and that's when you attack. And so you want to attack when they're both physically weakened, mentally weakened, and in this case, really spiritually weakened. A question for all of you. In the past... I'm sure many of us have experienced different spiritual attacks or different things in our lives. When you had some of these greatest attacks happen, was it when all of your physical needs in your life were met? Or were you in need? Was it when you were mentally just feeling great? Or were there other things going on, maybe in your relationships? When you faced these different spiritual attacks, was it when you were reading your Bible and praying daily and in fellowship? I mean, I I know these things can happen, but typically Satan knows us. 
He knows when we're weak. He knows when to attack. And he knows when we're struggling. And that's typically where he will come to battle with us. So let's look at verse 3 as this battle is going to begin. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. You know, I think about this. Um, Some of you are new here, but Christian and I, now the girls especially, we work out a lot. Um, We go do these crazy tests um, and qualifications, you know, seven-hour hikes with packs on our backs, and we do all these things. And I tell you, when you get back, you are so hungry. Yeah, she knows. It's like you're just, like, grabbing anything you can. You know, you're just so famished. And that's, like, after, like, hours, right? This is, this is much more. So Jesus, you can imagine how famished he was. He had actual physical needs at this point, you can imagine. Just as, I mean, we kind of sort of experience. So you can imagine what would Jesus desire physically in this case. Food, bread, substance. So Jesus has been fasted, and now Satan's there to tempt him. And, you know, all of us have different physical needs. I mean, in this case, we're talking about food, but you think about maybe it's we have bills to pay. Maybe it's money. I don't know. Maybe it's relations. We all have different physical needs. And so often when we think in our lives that we're lacking these physical things, this is when we can be tempted and spiritual warfare can come in. And he'll, you know, we're tempted. For me, if I see a need and, you know, food, I'm blessed. I, you know, I have never had to really hurt for food. But there's been plenty of times I say financially. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, maybe. Or other things. But I'm so tempted so often to use my own abilities to provide for my family, for what I consider my own needs, instead of truly trusting God as he's promised to provide for me. And I think that's what a lot of this is about. Because Jesus is going, he's coming to Jesus, he's tempting him. You know, I don't know. I just, you know, I think about the, it's a physical temptation for physical things at this point. So Jesus is going to respond to Satan in verse 4. Let's see what he says. But Jesus told him, No, the scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan is rebuked. Jesus proclaims the truth of God's word. And it's the same for all of us. You know, as we think that maybe God won't provide, um, Satan starts speaking to us. You know, maybe uh, some of us are here in Thailand and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. I don't have the resources. We need to rebuke these things from Satan and we need to rebuke him through the word of God. We're going to turn back of your Bibles. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy. I'm going to look at chapter 8. I want to read. There's a lot of scripture here, but I think it's important. Verses 1 through 3 is what the scripture that Jesus is referencing here. But as we think about physical temptations, I want to read this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, starting. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people did not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God is always, always faithful. He's always faithful to provide for all of our needs. And so often, 
uh, we can stumble when we see these physical things that we think we need and start getting really concerned with them. We must trust God, trust his word, and have faith that even in times of great, great need, God's word is always true and he's always faithful. Satan was tempting Jesus as he does for each one of us with this desire of physical needs. Then Jesus rebukes Satan with the truth of the word. God is a great provider for all of us and all of our needs. Let's look at verses 5 and 6, because I think Satan has some other ways he's going to attack. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, He will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands, so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Second battle. I'm going to call this battle protection. So the question is, for each of us, is what do we fear in this world? Think about that for a second. Do you fear sickness? Do you fear death? What things of this world produces fear in each of your lives? What things of this world do you seek protection from? This is the way Satan will attack us, fear. What things of this world do you seek protection from? Think about that and turn to Psalm 91. We're going to look at some other the verses here. Psalm 91, starting in verse 11. For he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. I think this is so applicable today because I think so many of us around us are seeking protection from the things of the world today, from all the different things going on, from different sicknesses. And God promises us to protect us. So the question that comes here is where are each of us placing our own trust? Is it in God or is it some other protection of this world? Because the protection of this world is not going to last, but God's protection is everlasting. So let's see Jesus' response To this test, look at verse 7. Jesus responded, The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Rebuked again. Jesus rebukes Satan again. Jesus stands with the truth of scripture. The whole truth of scripture. Not just the verse that Satan took out of context, but the whole truth. You You think about this. We were talking about this the other day. It's disturbing. It's disturbing that Satan knows scripture. Think about that. We just experienced this the other days. Satan knows scripture, and he, but he twists it, and he takes it out of context, and he tries to use it for his own purposes. It's really weird. You know, not only does Satan know scripture and twist it, and he's twisting it here when he's you know, tempting Jesus, but even sometimes friends, or even people sometimes in the church, they can take a scripture out of context, and they can present it in a convincing way uh, to maybe try to prove their point. Or prove something that they believe in, um, they can twist it. Um, some, you know, there's so many different things that go on today. There's so many religious cults, even the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons. Um, there's different, uh, all these different things. They take scripture, 
They say, look, but they twist it and they have the wrong interpretation of what it means. They always, they'll take Bible verses that would seem to you know, support their viewpoint, but it's not true. That's what Satan did right here, even to Jesus. This is why each of us must be in the Word of God. We must be studying our Bible carefully and pray that the Holy Spirit would speak the truth of these scriptures to us. And then even sometimes when we read something or hear something, it sounds a little strange or, you know, different. You know, we can run it by a pastor or a close friend or a brother or sister in Christ. It's like, what does this mean? What does it truly mean? Because this person's saying this. So let's continue. Satan is still attacking, but he's got another weapon in verses 8 and 9. Let's see what he's got next. Next, the devil took him off to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Third battle, third temptation, which I will call power or pride. I got all my P's there. In which areas each of us do we seek control in our lives or which areas of our lives do we seek a position of power? I think each of us is maybe a little bit different. Is there an area in our lives that we need to let go of and let God have? Satan is tempting Jesus with power or pride, showing Jesus that he can be in control of everything. It's hard for me, uh, this one. You know, the other two, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't really struggle. This one, this is one spoke to me. This is where Satan likes to come after me. Uh, Pride is one way that Satan has just been after me. And it's trying to draw me away from my relationship with Jesus and my calling on my life. So often, for me, when I say pride, this is kind of how it's been working for me. I want to understand why. Like, why, why do certain people react a certain way? Or why are people doing it this way? Or why don't people um, do this or do that? And, you know, honestly, it's none of my business. It's really just absolutely none of my business. This is God's business. But my pride tells me that I should know why these things happen in the world around me. Why people act a certain way or do certain things. And it's, it's not my business. It's God's business. My business is to be faithful to come and share the word and continue to share that and share the hope of Jesus. People's reactions or what they do or what they don't do, it's none of my business. That's God's business. And it's just my own pride that gets in the way there and say, and it, you know, I start asking all these questions. I just need to surrender all these questions, repent of my own pride, my own thoughts of the way that I think things should be or should not be, and just humble myself before God and say, here I am. The results are up to you. I have nothing to do with it. It doesn't matter. I just need to be faithful in the things that you've called me. Um, again, this is one that I really struggle with, especially just lately. I see here in Chiang Mai, it's, uh, you know, we lived in Myanmar almost four and a half years, and we come here, and it's a lot different here. Uh, the people are a lot different. Church is a lot different. And uh, it's just... Wow, people were so hungry for the Lord in Myanmar. I mean, it, it, was, it was crazy. And here, these people aren't seeking the Lord. And I say, why, Lord? And it, it's not my business. My job is to share the gospel, to be here, be prepared, and that's it. Again, I just, there's areas in my life I just need to be, let Jesus be Lord and put that pride aside. Surrender the results of the work and just do what God has called me to do. So as we look at pride... It comes to a, kind of another point inside of that is, what are the things that we worship? So you think about that. Let's read the next verse. Let's, let's see Jesus' answer to Satan in verse 10. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, 
You must worship the Lord your God and only serve him. Again, Satan is rebuked. Again, rebuked with the fundamental truth given to each of us in the word of God. I turn to Deuteronomy again. We're going to look at it again. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. This is the verse, you know, I don't know what the Holy Spirit will speak to you today. I pray that he does. These are the verses that really spoke to me when I talked about my own struggles with pride and dealing with the results of things that we do and dealing with people's reactions and around me. This is the verses that really spoke to me this week. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 6, verse 10. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you give you when he made a vow to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a land with large prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns that you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill of the land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. I read this, and it's just such a reminder that it's all about Jesus and what he will do. It's not about us. We must, for me, I just, I got to repent of this pride and just keep and continually trust God. And watch and see as he'll do so much more than probably I ever could imagine anyways if I'll just get out of the way and trust him and just lay these things aside. So look at the last verse today in Matthew. Verse 11, last verse for this passage. Then the devil went away, and the angels came and took care of Jesus. A time of reprieve and regroup. As I see this, it's kind of encouraging. I think sometimes uh, each of us, we've got to just take, he's been on attack, he's been in battle. He's been attacked three different times, three different ways. And now, he gets a little bit reprieve. And I think each of us, as we face these different challenges in life, we just got to take a look and uh, examine our own walk as Christians and see that as children of God, where has Satan been attacking us? Where has he been interfering with our relationships with Jesus? Where has Satan been interfering through spiritual attacks with our relationship with other people? Because usually there's something there. Satan has been trying to tempt us into sin since the beginning of time from Eve. And he's still doing it today in different ways. And sometimes we need to recognize how he's attacking us. So as we close the message up today, I want to remind everyone that spiritual warfare is very, very real. And the attacks that happen and take place in our lives are very real. And he knows each of us where to attack us. I think each of us have different ways. You know, if it's maybe it's a physical resources, that's maybe where you attack some of us. Maybe some of us is security or uh, power or pride. Or, I, all of us are different. But Satan, he knows. He knows where to go after us to break them relationships down with us, Jesus, and the people around us. And often, as we see here, very often, he will execute these attacks in times that we are weakened or in a vulnerable state or times where we are not in fellowship, you know, that's usually where he goes after us. And that's one of the reasons that we need to go to church. One of the reasons we need to be in Bible study. Why we need to be in the Word of God daily. Why we need to be in prayer. So we are prepared for when these battles will happen. Uh, Jesus showed us. He showed us how to fight these battles, didn't he? He showed us how to fight the temptations that Satan will place in our lives. We stand in the truth of the Word of God and the promises that he's given us. I want to read a quote from Warren Worsby. I think some of you are probably familiar with him. Maybe some of you aren't. 
I read this and I just really, I really enjoyed it. We must not think that Jesus used his divine powers to overcome the enemy, because that is what the enemy wanted him to do. Jesus used spiritual resources that are available to us today, the power of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the Word of God. I think that, you know, when we read this story, Jesus gives the example. He is our example given how to defeat the temptations of Satan. That was the title of the message, Example Given. So what does that mean? I want to define that as we close. What is an example? Many of us think of things in our lives. An example is a pattern or a copy or a, something to imitate. It could be, a, you could imitate it in morals or in a, a model or, this, and it's an example. Uh, you could, I'm looking at the Webster's Dictionary here. This is a, it could be in a good sense or a bad sense. It could be a person that you would seek to copy or imitate. An example. Jesus is the example that's given to all of us. He's the example that we see as we have to stand against the lies of Satan. And we learn. How do we learn about Jesus? Through the study of his word. You know, lately as we've gone through, started the Gospels, we've seen a lot of examples. All these different people. John the Baptist was the last one, right? He was a good example. John gave us some examples of how to preach the gospel. But the real example here that we start and begin with today is Jesus Christ. And how did he... Is, I asked you, what's next? You know, you, you've repented of your sins. You've come to faith in Jesus. You've been baptized. You're full of the Holy Spirit. And what happens so, so, so commonly is that's when Satan starts attacking. That's when he'll attack. And we can stand against this through the the truth of God's word. I'm going to turn to one last scripture as we get ready to close the message here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God, what pleases God, will live forever. Again, as we close, spiritual warfare is very real. Satan's temptations upon our lives are very, very real. And Jesus shows us the perfect example of how to overcome these battles through the empowering of the Holy Spirit living in us and the Word of God. So as we go out into the mission field... As we go out this door, we are going to face different things because Satan doesn't want us out there doing his work. And so I challenge you to make sure that you're in the word of God because when Satan comes with these things, you can always, always stand in the truth that's given to us in the word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time and the study of your word as we see how you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, how you had been equipped for the work that God had set forth for you, just as many of us have here. Lord, as you, before you even went out, Satan started throwing all these different attacks at you in these different areas that each of us can look at and relate to, Lord. But each one of them, Lord, you defeated the temptation, showing us an example, giving us that example of how each one of us can overcome the different temptations that we will face. It's through the word of God, through the truth, the foundational truths that you've given us, the promises that you've given us, and the filling of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, as I know that, uh, you know, for me lately, as I read through this, pride has been such a problem. 
Um, you know, not maybe even in the conventional fashion, Lord, that I think about, and maybe others would think about, but just in the fact that I just want to know more than I need to know, or I want to know why things happen. And Lord, I just surrender this to you, Lord. I want to repent of this sin. And Lord, I just want to uh, just stand on the truth in your word, Lord, that you've called us to go out and share the gospel. And that's it. That's it, Lord. I don't need to figure everything out and know everything. So, Lord, I just pray that you continue to equip this body here to show them how each of them can be used out there. And, Lord, as we go out tonight to even share with some people to evangelize, Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to protect us, Lord, and watch over us. But most of all, Lord, just that we would share the love of Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to study your word and just bless the rest of our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.